Hello and welcome to the Big Ben History Podcast, our latest conversation with the men in the room when Margaret Thatcher resigned as Prime Minister just over 30 years ago. Today's guest is Chris Patton. He became her Environment Secretary and in taking on that role was handed the most poisoned of chalices, the community charge, or as it was better known, the poll tax. He was from the other wing of the party, an ardent pro-European, but he had long ties with Thatcher through his career in the Conservatives. In his post-Westminster life, running Hong Kong, in the build-up to the handover to China, he hosted her as an ex-premier. In the space of 24 hours back in November 1990, Thatcher faced her cabinet twice. Once in a group, when she'd made up her mind to quit, and the day before, when she individually asked for their support. Lord Patton told me of his memories of both. I remember it um, a, a bit. I mean, not every detail of it. Um, but it was um, it was a very important cabinet meeting, which wasn't true of every cabinet meeting, not least um, since Margaret tended to know what she was going to do anyway without without much discussion. Um, and we didn't have long discussions in in cabinet. And um, um, with her successor, we we did. And uh, and then the one to one meeting itself. Do you remember? Do you remember that where you were all called in one to one to give your advice? I do. Um, I remember it um, uh, very well. Um, it was um, a, I think a, a, that, that again was a sad occasion and rather a difficult one. Uh, she wrote it up fairly um, clearly um, and, and uh, accurately as far as I was concerned in her memoirs. Um, I'd, I had told her very openly that I didn't think she would win on a second ballot or if she did win it, would she be hugely wounded uh, and that um, I thought the sensible thing for her to do um, wasn't to put herself and others through the ringer um, once more. Um, uh, she thought that I was, um, I think she wrote afterwards that she thought I'd, she'd expected something more sophisticated, or that wasn't the exact word she used, um, from me. Um, uh, but um, I really did think that um, the game was up. Indeed, the game had been up for some time. And was she clearly distressed? Yeah, um, but she'd heard similar things from other people, I think. Um, but yes, she, she, was, um, she was distressed and disturbed. She'd been very badly served, I think, over the previous um, months by people who told her things about her chances which were simply not true. Um, uh, leaders um, are very often, um, unfortunately, surrounded if they stay in office too long by psychophants who tell them what they want to hear. Um, and uh, uh, Margaret had had offers of help in her campaign from some people who thought she should go on, um, uh, but uh, w- wanted um, to talk to her plainly about what the prospects were. Um, but she didn't really take any notice of them, and she stuck with people who were giving her very bad advice. You mentioned months before, but I mean, it's fair to say in the summer of, 80, uh, of 1990, uh, a leadership challenge didn't look to be on the cards. It all happened very suddenly. Well, it was mounting. I mean, people put it down to um, uh, Europe. Um, I don't really do that myself. I, I think the biggest um, issue was uh, the community tax, the poll tax, um, uh, which I think sapped um, uh, political support for, and not least on the right of the party, um, indeed, I mean, I, w- I had to do debate after debate in the, ha- in de- after debate in the House of Commons with David Hunt, 
And the truth of the matter was that um, it was normally the moderates who were more, who were more likely to, um, um, with a ill grace, support the government than the right wing, who were very, very critical. Um, and the whole thing was a disaster. It's probably the most, one of the most disastrous um, public policies that any, or domestic policies that um, any government has implemented. So I think that had a, had a very serious effect in eroding support for Margaret. And then on top of that, you had the fact that she, um, she couldn't hold on to the two most important political figures in her cabinet, um, Jeffrey Howe and Nigel Lawson, and had a, had a demeaning argument with them, um, provoked a bit um, by her economic advisor, but above all, by her sense that she was being dragged into doing something she didn't want to do. We'll come on to Jeffrey Howe and Nigel Lawson in a moment, but uh, you mentioned the poll tax, and I can't help uh, talk to you about that. Uh, you're brought into the cabinet in 1989. Um, you weren't, say, so she, she hadn't been your greatest fan earlier in your career, from what I've read, but do you think she gave that to you? What, what was your job to sort out the poll tax? Is that what she said to you when she gave you the job? No, my job was to sort out the fact that the Greens had done so well in the previous European elections uh, and to... Um, deliver a conservative policy on the environment, which was more voter-friendly. Um, I took over the Department of the Environment from a, a very intelligent minister, um, uh, Nicholas Ridley, but he he didn't have much in the way of um, political empathy uh, and was regarded as um, an unfriendly face by, uh, by environmentalists. It may have been unfair, but that was the truth of the matter. Um, and we did very badly in the European elections um, in uh, ninety nine. Um, and I was brought in in order to, above all, produce a white paper on the environment. Um, uh, and the uh, the poll tax was something that people hadn't been um, taking enough notice of before. But the poll tax was aimed like a heat-seeking missile at floating voters in marginal constituencies. It was an absolute disaster. And I remember going and talking to her about it and being surprised that um, she hadn't really focused on just how politically damaging it was. Uh, I'd known her since, um, uh, well, for, since the 1960s, I suppose, um, when I was in the Conservative Research Department. And in my experience, nobody had normally had a better or a clearer and clearer notion of um, the impact of any individual tax change or change in interest rates on the disposable income of ordinary families. She was amazingly good at knowing that. And the fact that she'd she'd missed on the terrible impact of the poll tax on um, those she would have called our people, uh, as well as everybody else, uh, was, I think, uh, an indication of just how much um, her mind had focused on other things like um, Europe. Um, and she'd forgotten about um, the most important issue in politics, which is how, or in, in one of the most important issues in politics, which is how well off people feel. So when you were given that job, were you, were you aware of the poll tax? Were you aware, uh-oh, I've got something rather awkward in my intray? Yeah, but, but not in a big way, because I'd been, I'd been Minister for Overseas Development um, for the previous uh, three years, and I'd spent my time in a, in a very agreeable job going around the world, um, um, uh, it, putting Brit British taxpayers' money into good causes in Africa and Asia and, and elsewhere, um, and... I was aware as a constituency MP of the growing anxieties about the poll tax um, and about the uniform business rate, which was in, in my own constituency, 
perhaps even more um, serious as a political issue. Um, but I hadn't really been brought um, face to face um, with it in the same way that I would have been if I'd been a Scottish MP, for instance. So, so um, no, it did come as a slight surprise. Um, Nigel Lawson used to say that I should never have taken the job because of the poll tax. Well, um, it would have been a surprising um, thing for a, a middle-ranking minister uh, to do when offered responsibility for the largest domestic department in the government. Um, when I tried to um, get um, his agreement and Margaret's agreement to measures which would have ameliorated the harshness of the poll tax, and Nigel Lawson was vigorously against. And so is it a lesson in politics that you thought you were there to, to greenify your party, as it were, but did you spend most of your time on the community charge? I spent most of the disagreeable side on the, on the, on the poll tax. Um, I did some helpful things, I think, on the environment. We produced the first ever environmental white paper. We brought in um, a very good economist called David Pierce, who was who helped to make environmental economics respectable to a centre-right party. He was a very, very good man and pointed out how market forces, for example, could be used um, to help uh, uh, sustainable environmental policies. And he was able to point out um, how um, uh, you could create jobs uh, through environmental policies. So he was, he, was a, he was a very useful man, unfortunately died. Um, horribly young, but he he was excellent. And one and one has to remember that Margaret was the first world leader. People find this difficult to remember. Who really understood about climate change? Uh, she was a scientist by training, as well as a tax lawyer. Uh, she'd read chemistry at at Oxford. She had improbably um, a paint uh, a photograph of her tutor Dorothy Hodgkin uh, on her wall. Hodgkin was a brilliant scientist. Uh, a, a very left-wing um, academic, uh, which Margaret never seemed to take any account of. Anyway, she understood about about um, climate change, about global warming. Um, she'd had um, uh, lots of discussions with the author of books on 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 Gaia. Um, so um, uh, she actually understood all that, and she made a speech at the UN General Assembly on the subject. She spoke at a at a couple of other big conferences on the subject. She had um, more knowledge of it than I think any other politician at the time. Uh, fascinating, yes, yeah, so I've forgotten part of her legacy, I, I guess. Uh, and, and you mentioned um, the, the poll tax being bigger than Europe. What about personality? Did you notice her becoming more difficult? Well, she was never easy, um, but I think she became a bit fixated on Geoffrey and Nigel. Um, she was never easy if she thought you were sort of talking waffle, if you, if you hadn't got arguments to sustain your case. And at her best, um, she would always have read all the papers, including all the annexes. Um, she would have read the footnotes and she would know the brief better than anybody else in the room. Um, and woe betide you if you showed that you hadn't read, particularly your own paper, as thoroughly as, as she had. She was very, very hardworking, um, which is a, as was her successor, John Major, which is perhaps um, a reminder of um, failings of one or two political leaders today. Um, so, uh, but she did increasingly, um, I think, allow herself to be distracted by how much she disliked 
one or two European figures, um, including um, Delors, um, who, as far as she was concerned, was was responsible for trying to um, change uh, Brussels into a European government. Um, she didn't like some of the other European leaders, like Andriotti in, in Italy. She'd been terribly badly patronised by one or two um, earlier, but like uh, Giscard d'Estaing and Helmut Schmidt in when she was first prime minister. Um, and I think that, that affected her. Um, but I don't think for all that, um, for all that fixation, she would ever, ever have thought it was a good idea to take Britain out of the European Union because she had a very good sense of, of what the national interest was and where the national interest lay. Even now, even 20 years on, Charles Pohl argues with you that she would have been a Remainer. Do, do you believe that too? It's, it's an impossible question to answer, but is that your hunch? Impossible question to answer, but that's, that's my hunch. Um, she was one of those surprising people who became more radical in her views when she'd left office. Most people become more accommodating. Um, but I don't think in office she would have thought it was a very good idea for us to be outside our main market, um, that is the European Union. And you mentioned Geoffrey Howe. What was going on there? Because uh, apart from on Europe, ideologically they're very similar. He was the, the chancellor who drove through her most controversial measures, if you like, the ones that changed Britain the most radically. Was that just a personality clash by the end? Yeah, it was. I mean, I'm afraid that she, um, she, was, she was very unfair to Geoffrey. He was somebody she bullied, and I don't think he stood up to her sufficiently in the early years, and she got away with bullying him. So it went on. Um, other people, I mean, Peter Carrington in her early years, she'd tried to, she'd behaved rather badly to. And after one cabinet meeting, he just stayed behind. And, and uh, she said, what's the matter, Peter? And he said, I want to talk to you without the cabinet secretary being here. And the cabinet secretary left. And she was, um, she said, well, what is it? She, and he just said to her, if you ever talk to me like that again, I'm walking straight out. And she never did. Um, and I think Jeffrey used to be, used to be treated with a degree of, of unpleasantness, which was um, uh, unattractive and not the way she normally behaved. Um, she used to behave with him like a, as though he was a, he was a slightly tiresome, finicky um, uh, solicitor um, dealing with a client who thought he was being feeble uh, when putting when putting uh, the client's case. So it was it was it was um, it wasn't pleasant um, and. Uh, uh, he also used to um, talk more than she liked, so so uh, she didn't she didn't treat him well. I didn't really see the same as with Nigel Lawson, but she would have thought that that Nigel had got um, too big for his formidable boots. Did she ever try it on with you? No, interestingly, not really. I mean, I I'd known her since I was um, a lad, since I was, I suppose, my early twenties when I was in the Conservative Research Department. And when I was running the Conservative Research Department um, and a bit afterwards, I used to help her with her conference speeches um, and um, uh, with, a, with a very good um, playwright and speechwriter called Ronnie Miller. Um, and uh, we, we endured um, many evenings and nights of, um, of uh, um, behaving impossibly, but we just, let, let it um, like it was water off a duck's back. We just let it happen, and and came back very often with exactly the same speech that she, or not quite the same speech, the same arguments that we'd put the night before, which had been ripped to pieces. And she knew, she knew perfectly well 
um, that, that uh, we didn't always agree with her. Um, we would let her rant away, um, and then we'd have a drink. Um, but she never really, she never really um, tried to bully me personally. And indeed, when one of my, for example, when one of my daughters was was um, badly burnt in an accident, um, she was incredibly um, kind and and uh, thoughtful about it. Um, and she did, she did. Um, she always remembered the names of your children and your wife and so on, which. Her predecessor, um, Ted Heath, never did. No, Tom King made exactly the same observation of how uh, considerate she was to him compared to compared to Father and Ted. Was very considerate. This is what made her behaviour to Jeffrey so sort of unexpected but outlandish. She was always very well behaved to people like um, drivers or the person running the lift or waiters and waitresses. She was always incredibly courteous to them. And lots of please and thank you, never grand, never never put push them around. And I think she was very good with, with, with civil servants. So that even ones who disagreed with her, um, she would, uh, she'd listen to them out and she'd probably hector away. Somebody like David Goodall, who was very responsible for the Hillsborough Agreement and for, um, uh, for, for putting more sensible politics into our policy on Northern Ireland. Um, she was she was actually, um, I think, uh, very aware of how um, sensible and wise he was overall, even if she didn't agree with him. And just going back to the events of the fall, um, you, you had an eyewitness on the, the immediate years afterwards as party chairman. Do, do you think she, if she'd stayed on, not, I'm not saying it was the right thing that she could have stayed on, but she had stayed on. Do you think she could have beaten Kinnock in 92? No, I don't. Um, I, I, I think that it would have been probably in the interests of the Conservative Party, um, if not the country, um, if she had um, been dismissed by the electorate rather than the Conservative Party. But that's being wise after the event. At the time, um, you, you never actually think that um, uh, uh, standing by and watching your party lose an election is a good idea, um, but but the fact that she was that she was dismissed in the way she was uh, enabled uh, a legend to build up uh, that she'd been the princess in the tower that she'd been that she'd been betrayed by um, lefty pro-Europeans in the Conservative Party, um, and uh, I think that's festered to today, and I think that it's produced this. Uh, this this um, betrayalist, as people call it, um, uh, element in the Conservative Party, which has made the Conservative Party so difficult to manage, um, as it is at the moment, as it was particularly under Theresa May and John Major. Um, I think it all goes back uh, to that, and I think it's it's sad um, because it's made the Conservative Party um, a very difficult and flawed instrument in government. And that, that was just the nature of the fall. It created so much poison that it that it seeped into the body politic of the party. I think that's true, yes. And, and then just finally, I, I mean, you, you were spared, um, probably not through your own willing, the, the, the joys of the major years. Uh, you were in Hong Kong. But I imagine you had some contact with her in the build-up to 97. D- did you, and was she helpful? Terrific in Hong Kong. She was very, very supportive. Um, she She believed passionately 
in the um, in what the, what was said in the international treaty with the Chinese, the joint declaration, which they've been um, busy eviscerating um, in the last few months. Um, she believed very strongly that we should do what we would what we said we would do for the people of Hong Kong, and uh, even though some people, some business leaders, um, some of her former colleagues tried to persuade her to undermine me, to say that I'd got it all wrong, to say that we should uh, um, we should play a big game with China and do what they by and large they wanted on the erroneous grounds that that would produce lots of um, business for us. Um, she would have none of that, and she. She came to, to uh, uh, Hong Kong to stay with us several times. Um, she was incredibly um, uh, kind and courteous, again, um, to all the staff in the house who liked her a lot. Um, she spoilt our dogs, something rotten. Um, and then she would go off to Beijing and speak up for Hong Kong when she was there. Um, and she had one endearing um, quality of kindness, which some people have always thought was slightly naive. I thought it was remarkable. She'd normally be going into Beijing from uh, Hong Kong or to somewhere in China. And she always used, to, when she was in Hong Kong, to say that she wanted to go to what was the best place for buying silk ties or whatever. And she would go out and she would buy a couple of silk ties. And you'd say, well, what's that for? What are they for? And they're for dinners. No, no, no. She said, I'm taking a present for Xiao Xiyang who had been the Chinese, the leader of the Communist Party in, uh, in 1989 during the Tiananmen Square. And he was the leader of the Communist Party that she dealt with and she, and she rather liked and admired him and felt sorry for him. And she would say, you know, if, if when I go, even though they won't let me see him, if I'm saying, could you give this present please to Zhao Xiang and remember me to him, um, it'll at least try to ensure that they keep him alive. A lot of people have looked at me as though it's a ridiculous thing, but it was actually, there was, a, there was, and this is a sort of, a, I suppose, a gender um, unacceptable remark. It was a sort of woman's in, intuition about that, about this, this small kind of kindness, which um, would actually deter um, the thugs in the Politburo for, um, for disposing of Yashi Yang. That was Chris Patton remembering Margaret Thatcher, both as Prime Minister and afterwards. For more conversations with her Cabinet Ministers about her fall from power, you can find the Big Ben History Podcast on iTunes and all podcast providers. Thanks for listening.